Hello and welcome to Earth, Wind, and Water, Motif Magazine's leanest and greenest audio production. In each episode, reporter Sam Zimmer explores environmental issues as they relate to the lives of Rhode Islanders. This week, she sits down with Eli Nixon to discuss their book, Blood Tide, a new holiday in homage to horseshoe crabs. This could be interesting. Before we kick over to Sam, we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, The Parlor, R1 Indoor Karting, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, and Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island. Hello, and welcome to the Motifs Environmental Justice Podcast, Earth, Wind, and Water, We Will Be Ancestors. This is sponsored by R1 Indoor Go-Karting, Trinity Beer Garden, and Graysale Brewing. Thank you to our sponsors. We are here with Eli Nixon today. Eli, thanks for being with us. Thanks. Eli Nixon builds portals and gives guided tours to places that don't yet exist or exist but call for creative intervention. They are a settler-descended trans-queer clown, a cardboard constructionist, and a maker of plays, puppets, parades, pageants, suitcase theaters, drawings, and low-tech public spectacular. Eli collaborates with artists, activists, schools, mental health and recovery centers, libraries, and the more-than-human worlds to expand imaginative capacity and build muscles for collective liberation. I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that we are here on Narragansett Wampanoag Nipmuc lands. Um, And I wanted to also acknowledge, in addition to people who've been here since before colonization, all of the species of living things who were here long before that. Like horseshoe crabs. Like horseshoe crabs, oh my goodness. So horseshoe crabs are are your main focus, Eli. Um, Can you say a little bit more about why, what uh, drew you to horseshoe crabs to begin with? Sure thing. Um, and I guess the horseshoe crabs are are the main focus of this particular holiday that I'm proposing in this particular book that was recently put out called Blood Tide, uh, a new holiday and homage to horseshoe crabs. And I mean, the cool thing about horseshoe, one of many cool things about horseshoe crabs is that Um, They have a lot of secret fans, like as I've continued working (laughs) on horseshoe crabs and around horseshoe crabs for mm, many of the last dozen years or so, it's so cool to realize how many people are secretly like, oh, I love horseshoe crabs, (laughs) including yesterday at the library. Right now I have this rad uh, project that I'm doing in the Providence Public uh, Library stairwell where I'm uh-huh. um, working to build a 450 million year timeline where the door is the present um, out to the street and then it goes all the way up the new beautiful stairwell there to the primordial soup of 450 million years ago on the third floor. Wow. And so I'll be building that um, with anybody who wants to help me at various sessions at the library for now till the foreseeable future, uh, probably at least this fall. So that's one way to learn more about horseshoe crabs and where they fall in this miraculous timeline. And I guess that's the simplest reason of why horseshoe crabs is just their incredible oldness. Um, There's very few things that are still here now that were here 450 million years ago. They've lived longer than 99% of all species that have ever existed. So impressive. And um, and they're also currently threatened um, due to climate collapse and the fact that the biomedical industry uses them for 
their blood. All of us who are pumped to be vaccinated, myself included, have the Horseshoe Crab to thank because their blood is used currently required by the FDA, anything that comes in contact with the human body, whether it's a ventilator tube or a pacemaker or a vaccine, anything that um, needs to be sterile is tested for sterility against this compound that we currently extract from horseshoe crab blood. Wow. Um, and which is the thing, like that thing that we take from them is the reason that they've lived for 400, or one of many reasons they've lived for 450 million years is their own immuno powers are what we're extracting for our immuno powers um, or to support our, <laughs> our not falling prey to our own weakened immuno powers. Right. And I would also say horseshoe crabs are, um, to me, they're something that is sort of not a charismatic megafauna. They're not as cute as pandas to a lot of people. They're not, you know, like a, a pretty little bird. They, they don't have the same, perhaps, panache as a lot of other... <laughs> A lot of other species, but because of their weird dinosaur-like dome and the fact that everybody's seen a lot of their molts, oftentimes people are like, oh, I've seen dead horseshoe crabs all over the beach, but a lot of those are the shedded, too small exoskeletons of living horseshoe crabs who are probably still out there in the water, so that's cool to think about. That is very cool. And um, to me, they've been a really useful, um, both... Like the the holiday that I'm proposing around celebrating horseshoe crabs is both looking at them as themselves, like not as a symbol, not as anything other than a miraculous organism that in spite of all of the odds, giant glaciers, mass extinctions, volcanoes, comets, who knows all the crap that happened in the last 450 million years, but they've been here through that so uh like in awe and appreciation of their their actual fortitude as a species and then simultaneously i think it's useful for me and my very limited human time scope to have horseshoe crabs as a like tactile concrete real neighbor that i can yeah. visit right now mm -hmm to destabilize my own settled consciousness about time starting 500 years ago or maybe a couple thousand years ago when right. humans got here. I've been, I've absorbed the settler colonial mind frame of like human-centered mm -hmm. understanding of everything. And, um, and I think for me, a lot of thinking about and playing with and working on horseshoe crabs has been about expanding my frame not to look past the actions of our more, more recent ancestors, but as a way to just put them in a timeline of perspective and in some ways to motivate myself and other folks involved in racial and climate justice work that Although our movement is very young compared mm -hmm. to horseshoe crabs, people have been working in harmony with the land since humans arrived here. There have been anti-racist ancestors. There have been people from all cultures all over the world who have been living, feeling as though horseshoe crabs and other organisms are part of their family, our family. Mm -hmm. And I think my work with horseshoe crabs has done a lot for me in terms of feeling really limited by 
my compassion, my, my perspective, my understanding around the action of my more recent human ancestors. And so to put my human ancestors and the human ancestors I know nothing about and the human ancestors who came before them and then the less human ancestors and then the hairy ape ancestors mm -hmm. and then the ancestors that have no form that is recognizable as human anymore and have those all lined up puts me in a better place to be working with my ancestors than when I'm so hyper-focused on 1860-something until now or purely the future. Right. At the end of the day, we're still nature and just yeah. part of that. Totally. Absolutely. And to get more practical, my dad was an oceanographer for 40 years okay. at, <laughs> at, um, at the URI um, Graduate School of Oceanography, and his specialty, one of his many specialties, was Narragansett Bay. So I grew up working in his lab and going on boats and sort of being taught to revere nature and all of these miraculous organisms, but at the same time, he was a pretty, like, sort of hostile atheist around anything that attempted to imbue organized religion and anything. And I definitely came away with the like squeaky feeling about organized religion, mm -hmm. but a real feeling as an artist that organisms deserved the awe, reverence, sort of spiritual grace that um, had been poo-pooed in my exposure to nature through him. Mm. And I think that, that my work with this holiday is attempting to like be like, oh, what if we lift up other things and gather around them in a way that both I think scientists and people committed to the actual like nitty-gritty details of how these creatures are declining and surviving in relationship to our action but also something beyond the scope of human meddling yeah uh, yeah that's interesting for sure and by holiday I just feel like I should clarify a yeah. little um, people just like nature or horseshoe crabs people have all different kinds of relationships with what holiday means mm -hmm. and um, and the first thing that people ask when they're like oh you're proposing a new holiday and homage to horseshoe crabs they're like when is it and <laughs> that well and that to me is a good sign because I think people by and large that I've talked to are like bring on another holiday yeah. holy crap we need something else to gather around and so many of our current holidays reinscribe settler colonial violence or you know, 4th of July is blowing shit up in the air and right. like, you know, and then we've got Columbus Day, we've got Thanksgiving, we've got all these holidays that many of us have divested from, but there hasn't, in my world at least, been clear substitutions for mm -hmm. like, hey, we don't want to gather around these myths and these lies and this harm anymore, but we still need to gather. Right. So I'm just putting horseshoe crabs out there as like, hey, this seems like a great thing to gather around. It touches on all the things that I'm trying to teach my own kid mm -hmm. about her place in the world and what we're doing here and our relationship to other people and organisms and ancestors. Mm -hmm. So the answer to when is blood tide in my proposal is it's a floating holiday. You can use it whenever you need it, as often as you need it, for as long as you need it. It's um, frequency and duration are up to its commemorators. You could use it instead of Earth Day, if Earth Day's feeling a little wishy-washy, or <laughs> it, you could use it instead of any number of holidays, you could use it on top of a birthday to put perspective and deep time. You could use it a whenever... A mental health day? What? A mental health day? A mental health day. You time could off. use it if you're 
workplace only acknowledges Christian holidays and you think that's bunk and you want to get paid time off for your use blood tide. It's here for you and anybody else. And my other sort of tangential holiday effort is if horseshoe crabs don't do it for you, make up some other holiday that does because clearly we're not being served by a bunch of these crappy old holidays. Mm. And I also think there's some people... I have friends who um, come from Jewish traditions or pagan traditions or Muslim, like a whole range of traditions that already have plenty of holidays and they're pumped about them. And if you don't need this holiday, then by all means, leave it for somebody else. It's like a take it if you need it kind of thing. Gotcha. Love that. Need more, more things like Blood Tide. What's the origin story behind the book? You know, did it start as a costume or a play or an idea? Like, I have a vague idea that this was born from COVID in one way or another. Can you say a little bit more about where this book came from? Sure. Um, I've been a theater maker who works with cardboard and has been involved in various different environmental and justice environmental and climate justice work for about the last 25-ish years. And uh, and I think that, so I had been trying to write a play um, where horseshoe crabs and red knot birds, which is a bird that is this miraculous bird that depends on horseshoe crab eggs in large part for their survival. And they make a 9,000 mile migration every year from the bottom of Tierra del Fuego till the top of the Canadian Arctic. And they stop along the Eastern coast of the United States, primarily like Chesapeake Bay, Delaware Bay area. But up and down the coast, they land in these huge flocks of thousands and thousands of birds and then feed on all the horseshoe crab eggs and then can fuel their migration to the Canadian Arctic, and then they make the same flight back again. Wow. So this bird that's like smaller than a coffee cup <laughs> makes this 9,000 mile migration every year, in part dependent on timing it with this miraculous sinking of the horseshoe crab spawning. So it's in touch with the moon and tides and talk about things we don't know quite how to track or measure or follow, but they do this amazing thing every year. And so I wanted to put some of that like grand scale of space and time and relationship between organisms in a theater context because I was feeling underwhelmed by humans and um, and also feeling a little like frustrated by how often animals in our in our current you know modern capitalist uh, settled mentality animals are for kids um Mm. you know like they're sort of relegated to being cartoons or something you see on the wall of the pediatrician's office or in a children's book but otherwise a human can a modern human can eat their plastic wrapped burger or put their cow milk into their cup but zero have ever touched anything that is not human flesh in months and months and months right unless they're eating it or we're eating it. You know, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm part of this thing. But I think that the effort to have a play that got at some of that um, was a relative disaster. Like it, was, it didn't work in a play form. Mm. Um, there was some cool choreography I was starting to figure out and I was having cool conversations with different artists about how to make this play of this epic migration and this relationship and this dance between these organisms. And I had put all this text into 
the animals. I'm somebody who really believes in the power of um, destabilizing anthropocentrism by using anthropomorphism. So by putting um, our human lens into animals through comics and having like they have the far side, you know, where cows yeah. are talking to each other or whatever, or through puppetry and costumes and theater making, when we put on the identity of another animal, if our goal is to unsettle the centrism of humans and not make it like I feel so infuriated with so much Disney stuff where it's just like I'm a woodchuck and I am I'm worried about my taxes or whatever and right. you're like oh gross <laughs> like you've taken the worst part of humans and laid them I'm wearing a sweater vest on top <laughs> of all these animals but my effort on this one was to be like okay if we're if we're trying to but but what happened with the play is that it felt like I was recolonizing the animals by putting English into them in the in the acting of this thing. It was just like, why are they speaking English? They were here so long before this. They definitely don't speak English. If they speak anything, it's not English. And right. and that was all I knew how to write in. And so then I started writing in like noises and patterns and trying to like think about that. And what it was I was just struggling with it in a play form, but starting to get into a room with some choreographers and let go of it being a piece of theater that had any text. It was gonna be more like a dance and then there was gonna be nice. sonic stuff going on. And I had spoken a little bit with Orlando Hernandez, who's a local tap dancer. And he was thinking about patterns and nonverbal communication there. And I had um, worked with a couple other choreographers in New York and then the pandemic hit Mm. and all of the workshop opportunities, all of the stuff that had been laid out for the next year of residencies. and Because I had been working on this horseshoe crab stuff in conversation with folks at New Urban Arts where I had done some cardboard building and with the um, RISD summer program. and like So I'd been sort of workshopping, like, how do people think about horseshoe crabs? What are ways we can play with them? What, how do we become them? How do other people become them? Is it, where can comics help us? Because I really like in comic writing how you can have a speech bubble, a thought bubble, and a caption. So yes. you can mess with some of that feeling that you're just putting words into an animal without building a larger frame around right. whose lens that is. Right. So it felt very exciting to be getting into that with the play and then devastating when the pandemic hit and all of the opportunities dried up. But right then I had also gotten an offer from a small press in Olympia, Washington called Third Thing Press. And they publish what they describe as necessary alternatives. And um, and they, I had sent them uh, the script of the Horseshoe Crab play, um, sort of on a whim of my friend, Megan Sandberg-Zakian, who's a director in Boston, had been like, had worked with them and written a book that's amazing on theater that everyone should read. And, and she had given them my name and they had solicited a script for me. So I sent them that script. And then right when the pandemic hit, they offered, do you want to write, do you want to publish the script as a book? What a blessing. And then as I was, <laughs> yeah, right. Now and that so you I was all like, this time. oh God, the last thing I want to do is write by myself in this house. But it's also the only thing that I can do right now, right. given the pandemic. And so then I was trying to write the play as a book. And that was so awful. I was like, oh, it was terrible as a play. And now it's even worse as a book about a play. And so then I was like, uh, luckily my 
editor said, if you can't write it, draw it. That was a big boon to my efforts. And then I had a couple of artist residencies, one at the Malay Colony in upstate New York, now called Malay Arts, and, um, and another one at Subcircle in Maine, which is a dance residency. And through those two periods of time where I just got to like live with the ideas and be like, oh, it's not a book, it's not a play. And I tried to like write a pageant and then I did my own sort of weird nature drag show. And then I was singing <laughs> Krabioki where I, Krabioki is one thing that I'm really into where you take the um, lyrics of power ballads or other hot karaoke numbers <laughs> and twist the, you know, just alter the lyrics softly to make them about horseshoe crabs or oh as if a horseshoe crab would be singing it to a red knot or you destabilize <laughs> the human perspective and suddenly you've got these power ballads that are actually about something empowering or interesting or possible or love songs to wow. 450 million years. So I had been like cobbling together all the pieces of, of it and then finally I think for me it became like clear that it needed a bigger container to hold all of the various sort of practices I was proposing mm -hmm. as well as the theory of centering horseshoe crabs in this idea and yeah. so it became a holiday and then as soon as I like had the frame that I was proposing a holiday it became clear that it needed to be a manual about how to practice the holiday with illustrations and stuff. And then there's also field notes to sort of complicate the holiday and <laughs> include right. all of the questions and stuff. I was going to say, it reads like it reads like an instruction book, you know, and you can pick and choose. You could jump in the middle of it, you know, say like a chapter about ticks, you know, and, and use that chapter for your benefit or for other people's benefits, you know? Yeah, ticks are in there because they're one of Horseshoe Crab's closest living relatives. And so one of the practices of the holiday, the holiday proposes at least 11 practices that you can do as ways to celebrate, including time encapsulation and making a detritivore pie, which is inspired by the way Horseshoe Crabs eat, <laughs> and blood donation as a way of right. like nodding to the the work that horseshoe crabs are doing for our blood stuff. So the tick checking one is um, an effort to make sort of more sacred, slow down, uh, add some added reverence around this sort of boring, grotesque thing that those of us who like to be outside in tick infested areas, which is almost everywhere nowadays, yeah, trying to like turn that from being this drag that's like, oh, now I have to do laundry and I have to check myself and I have to check this random person I went hiking with and right. blah, blah, to try and unsettle that reaction a little bit and be like, whoa, here's this tiny, tiny organism that's making us slow down and contort around our own and each other's bodies in this very vulnerable, fleshy way and look for anywhere that this pinhead-sized organism might be coming back to get the blood of their cousin that we took. Oh my gosh! Um, so <laughs> just trying havoc. to like, yeah, make the full circle there. And so the part of the book that is connected to horseshoe crabs is a series of spells um, that I wrote to try and ease tick-related anxiety and think more about the relationship of humans and nature it's gorgeous. in that way. Yeah, I guess, I mean, you've said so much already about how the book and the holiday proposal, <laughs> take it as you will, take it when you need it, holiday, um, connects to environmental justice. Can you say 
anything else, you know, there's some really explicit points in this book um, that mention uh, settler colonialism, white supremacy, and reparations. Can you say a little bit more about how Blood Tide connects to those ideas? Sure. Um, I would say in terms of connecting the work of this holiday to to the learning that I've been doing for the last 40-something years around our relationship to the land, the impact of settler colonialism on all of our systems and our whole framing of us being part of nature, apart from nature, the cleaving of humans and nature and how that has wounded us all mm. and also set up these divides, I think, in in, our, in in all of us, inside of us, and also in our communities that either you can value the climate or you can value human rights. Like the, the right. positioning of these movements as mutually exclusive or as like you have to be down, more down with one or the other. Um, right. And I think that my effort with this holiday was to really try and zoom out a little bit more and be like, it's all connected. Like, what are the ways in which I need help talking to my family about the relationship of my family's home to the fact that it's sitting directly on top of Narragansett land? I didn't learn about that growing up. I didn't, um, my mom is still just learning about that and where she lives and like thinking about the ways in which where we actually are, where we are celebrating any of our holidays, but in particular this one, mm -hmm. um, when our bodies are sitting on top of land that we haven't acknowledged as as not being ours, like not um, actually relating to our current frameworks of ownership and real estate and buyer's markets and all of these terms that are so new and so modern and so weak, right. to, you know, like <laughs> that it not feels... Not real, arguably. Right. Yeah. So I think that it, um, trying to weave in the idea that not only are humans nature, but that our ability at this point to pretend we're not nature and to live as though we're separate from nature and that nature doesn't deserve to be on the land that we want mm -hmm. and that anyone that is questioning the legitimacy or rights of you know, settler-descended people to be on this land that they've claimed is somehow um, disturbing our culture, where I'm, I'm pushing for a holiday as a as a cultural tool mm -hmm. of like if I if if making reparations to local BIPOC led land and healing projects is a part of this holiday and my mom or anybody's mom or neighbor or whatever is down with, oh, I like horseshoe crabs. I'm into horseshoe. Oh, I want to bake a Detroit or pie. Oh, yeah, cool. That's cool to learn about their migration. Like, just trying to get from there to then being like, yeah, and I am in relationship with the Oh, and so I, in order to celebrate this holiday, I do need to make some sort of commitment to a financial resource redistribution around acknowledging the actual history and the current systems that support that to the land that I'm on. It's like just trying to make like a, a soft push towards a lot of people for all of the reasons that in my experience, most white people give about not making reparations right. as like, we well, already give to Planned Parenthood, or I donate to NPR, or I didn't know that right. 
that there were still indigenous people here. All these like, or that's for the federal government to ha handle. Or my family got here in the seventies. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I don't know where to start. So I think all of those reactions that um, people have that are defensive and about that are coming from fear that they don't that we as white people don't belong anywhere, mm -hmm. and therefore if I pay reparations or a land tax or some sort of, if I build into my cultural life of my family, if I build it into my holidays, if I build it into my relationship with my own finances, that I actually owe something for the, my, this time here, that I am making an acknowledgement of my continued settledom on mm. the settlement on this land. To me, I feel like a holiday might be a way to bring people into that conversation who haven't been thinking about it yeah. before. And I've found it to be useful in lubricating my own conversations with my family and mm -hmm. with my own self in terms of thinking about it. and trying to lay out, I think people get really overwhelmed and intimidated by mm -hmm. like how and who and what to do and right. trying to break it down to be like $5 a month because horseshoe crabs have survived five mass extinctions or $1,500 a month because that's how much a quart of horseshoe club blood is currently worth wow. in the biomedical industry or $9,000 a year because that's the migration of the red knot birds. Like just, it's so random the amount, but I think my effort at making that menu of ways that you could engage was around like any amount is better than no amount right. and any amount is a start that might see you as part of trying to be, because I think the call that I'm hearing at least is how are ways that we're building new ecologies of health and well-being and interconnectedness mm. and support and breaking from old systems right. of oppression. And so to me, this felt like I experienced in talking to a wide range of people about this holiday idea that in a, a lot of the initial pushback was, first of all, why horseshoe crabs? And people are like, why that? This ugly old thing. It's always already been here. Why are we going to gather on that? So I've talked some about why them. But in an effort to be like connected to that, the horseshoe crab blood, which groups up around the site of a wound, which has that coagulating property, is something we can actually look to to heal sites of cultural, environmental, and historical wounding here. Like we can clump up our yeah. resources. We can replicate what we steal from the horseshoe crab's blood mm -hmm. of their amazing coagulating compound in our cultural practices where we could coagulate our resources around these sites of wounding with hopes that it works towards collective healing. Yeah, and, and you know, that piece being new, but also uplifting cultural practices and ways of being that have been around for a long time totally. as well, that we need to learn from to move forward in a way that actually can fight climate change collectively. You yeah, know? and the book is, I, I'm um, donating a portion of all my book sales to different um, reparations and BIPOC-led healing efforts that are local. And then if I'm doing holiday activations or helping folks get them off the ground in other places, there's a QR code in the book to learn about um, where various different um, BIPOC-led land and reparation efforts are happening wherever you live. There's one within a very near radius. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the show notes, we can include the link to that. Yeah, that'd be something. great. 
but um, I feel like there there's no shortage of places that need people's resources to be supporting the ethos, if not the actual operations. And so at whatever level people can engage, I think it's useful to make it part of a normalized practice of gathering around our ancestors, like actually helping us have more tools to talk about human ancestors by connecting with the both recent action of of human ancestors and more than human ancestors going back for so long. Absolutely. So if, where would someone get this book? If they were interested in learning more about Blood Tide, you know, aside from our show notes, you know, perhaps we could link into the show notes, um, you know, or acknowledge um, different places locally in Rhode Island or maybe online where- Totally. Um, you can currently buy it at Riff Raff Books in Providence. Any day now, you'll be able to buy it at Books on the Square. They've been having some stocking issues, but it's coming there. Nice. You can also get it out of the Providence Public Library. If you want to stock it at your school library, you can order it. Um, that would be amazing. I'd love it if anybody is out there and has has a desire to order it. Um, you can order it from uh, Third Thing Press. Um, just Google Third Thing Press and you'll see the book is called Blood Tide, A New Holiday and Homage to Horseshoe Crabs and you can get it there. Also, I will be at the Providence Public Library um, building this 450 million year timeline in the stairwell there for several months. Check out the um, Providence Public Library on events. Street? Yeah, the, uh, their events on their website. They have a list of like daily event calendar and the times will be there you don't need to sign up in advance you can just come meet me and build horseshoe crabs and anything else that you want to include from 450 million years <laughs> and awesome. we're gonna have i think that as as the summer comes and hopefully as we get a little further from covid we're gonna eventually have a live book launch probably at queer archive works and bench press um over uh here in providence and also we're there's other action happening this summer, working with a group of students at New Urban Arts um, in their art inquiry program, where I'm sure some horseshoe crab stuff will be happening. And hopefully down the road, things uh, all around town from various different, you know, PVD Fest activations to other ways of getting all horseshoe crabby. So if people are interested, they should definitely reach out. And if you have opportunities that you think some cardboard horseshoe crab action would be good at, you can email 450 million years ago at gmail.com and reach out. Awesome. That's all very exciting. Um, really looking forward to the summer. Yeah, it's been so great talking to you. Um, again, uh, if folks want to get involved, but say they want to start their own events yeah you know or full support okay great full support of anybody running with any holiday activation connected to horseshoe crabs that you want to do or whatever other kind of if you just want to consult about holidays i'm glad to talk about that too <laughs> but uh yeah no by all means if they if they're interested they should order the book you can also buy it from me as a human out in the world um and you can contact me for 450 million years ago at gmail.com for that. But yeah, no, people should just run with it. No, no need for me to be there either. I hope I've laid out enough in the book that anyone can build a holiday that suits what they need. There's time encapsulation. There's impossible dances. <laughs> parades. Yogi, there's parades. Flotillas. I'd, I would love to collaborate with other local groups and um, 
some camps and libraries and other things to see what would be useful in those spaces. And also connecting with groups like New World Healing Center and reparations efforts and um, other movement land return. Outdoors. Yeah, Movement Education Outdoors is an incredible organization that's been getting BIPOC and low-income youth out into the beautiful areas surrounding Providence and thinking a lot about indigenous and black relationships with land and um, also supporting the People's Port Authority and their work around Washington Park and a group of kids that's going to Puerto Rico hopefully through that and learning about community Mm -hmm. resiliency and work around a whole bunch of different efforts that groups locally and beyond are doing to re um sort of reorient a lot of our relationship with both holidays each other the land i think one thing that's important to just highlight is i think that the binary between stuff being about climate justice and racial justice is really not working for any for any of our favor because clearly they're so inextricably linked and the longer that mostly white people, it seems like, resist mm-hmm. the idea that those that that work is intertwined and interdependent, the longer we live in, it only in half the world. Um, Climate justice is racial justice. Yeah. Right. And the other thing I'd like to put out there is that that, that part of this holiday proposes nature drag, which is a third form of drag, neither drag king or drag queen, but drag kin no G. Um, To me, nature drag is one of the sort of juiciest, most appealing parts of this holiday for family-friendly purposes and to try and like attract people who may not see themselves as connected to anything having to do with drag, either because they're not part of a queer community that, that has had access to that term or because they do and they have felt similar to me as though there wasn't really a way in as a non-binary trans queer person. Mm. I'm not after a queendom or a kingdom. Right. Um, and instead I'm interested in nature kin, uh, no G. Uh, and I, I think that nature drag to me is the word that I'm using when we find, like if drag is a new way into something that is already inside of us or already a part of us or is another angle of us, that it's operating on that same idea that we can transcend limitations of gender, categories of identity briefly, like partially with pretend, like this is not an escape, but it's a like another layer to be like, oh, and also, Suddenly, if if my drag persona is the Atlantic Ocean, that really opens up a lot of space <laughs> for me to like figure out what that looks like. How is that connected to my own desire, sexuality, gender, beyond before gender? How am I moving my back as a wave? How am I making my arms the tide? Right. You know, like it. How's the wind interacting? Changes with my things. Yeah, and I would say that my confidence in the power of nature drag for almost anyone is that I have been spending a fair amount of the last couple of years building cardboard horseshoe crabs with people and wearing a cardboard horseshoe crab to state house legislation hearings and to protests and to festivals and things and the way in which people embrace me as a horseshoe crab is really different than as like 
a sort of amorphously gendered trans queer white human out in the world. I don't get nearly as many like, oh my god, <laughs> wow, like just my, it's it has expanded the way I am received in the world, and therefore also how I'm receiving myself. Yeah, it also just does a real good number on our own human-centered lens to suddenly be like, shit, I don't even know where the front of my body it like who says this is the front that even that frame is a human centered frame so did I suddenly be like oh with this cardboard carapace on I have to think about wind and the angle of my body and what happens when I ride my bike in this ridiculous thing <laughs> and so I, I just am really a huge enthusiast of people using ideally things from the waste stream cardboard plastic recyclables and some whatever fabric you can find to transform your own body or that of your children I mean a lot of us do it every Halloween and just call it Halloween but I think Becoming a different thing and oftentimes decentering your, your humanness to become either an environmental force or an animal or a rock or, you know, something that, that shakes us out of our like, oh, I gotta drink my coffee and go to work and blah, 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 you know, like takes us away from being such a modern human, um, has a lot of power to transform us and bring us together and enable us to see different parts of each other that we wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah. A lot of the beauty of drag without some of the, you know, the things that I find more of a drag about drag. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I'm hoping to like talk more with folks at House of Kodak and YPI and other places around uh, who might be drag enthusiasts and excited to get into the more than human realm there. Yeah. Lots of possibilities for collaboration. It all feels very new because the House book just glitter. came out and it just, yeah, totally. And it's been such a weird pandemic launch of it that it's hard to know how we might all come together around a bunch of different ideas in it because we haven't gotten to come together. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking. It's inherently disruptive too. I mean, like just seeing a, a horseshoe crab, someone someone as a horseshoe crab out in the world, like is interrupting your day, your thoughts with imagination. And it um, does the things I fun. love. Yeah, and about like the things I love about puppetry, which are a disruption of scale. Like suddenly this thing that you're used to being able to step on is bigger than you. It's just like a good, whoa, human. Perspective. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And uh, anyone who's pumped to think about getting a nature drag situation going, uh, I am delighted to talk more with anybody. Shout out to um, the PPD Bike Jam happening uh, this Friday. It's uh, it's plants and animal themes, so mm. there will be a lot of nature drag happening. Love there, it. I'm sure. Cool. <laughs> Eli Nixon, it was so amazing to have you here. Thank on you for Earth your Earth interest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to our sponsors for making this podcast happen. Um, and I hope everyone has a beautiful uh, racial justice-centered Earth Day. This has been Earth, Wind, and Water from Motif Magazine. We would like to take this opportunity to once more thank the sponsors for this episode, The Parlor Providence, R1 Indoor Karting, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, and Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you join us again for our next episode.